You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. I have my Bible open to Ephesians chapter 5. I hope you have your Bible open to Ephesians chapter 5 as well. As we've been talking about Ephesians, the most organized book in the Bible, it is full of indicatives that tell us about our identity. And then the second half is full of imperatives that tell us about our activity. And so we are right in the heart of it. And we are about to enter some of the most practical teaching in the Bible, especially if you are married. Today we're going to be talking to a select group of people that are in the auditorium. The message is not for everybody here today. There's only a select group of people I'm actually speaking to. Everybody else, you get the week off. You can sit back, relax. This message is not for you. Say, well, why did I come to church? You need to pray. Uh, For the people that I am about to identify. Now, here is the people. It's real simple. I need all of the husbands to stand up. Where are the husbands today? Let's find the husbands. I need to know where you are. I need to know where the targets are. I need to see the whites of your eyes. Yeah, let's cheer these guys on. There they are. Now, what we know about these guys is they need help. All right, so sit back down. And we're going to try to provide some help for the husbands here today. And uh, let me just very quickly say a word to those of you that did not stand. And and in order to talk to you, I just need to come come down here on the front porch for a second. And let's have a little talk and talk to those of you that did not stand. First of all, if you are a wife of one of those guys that just stood, or maybe you're a wife and your husband is not here, I need to let you know... um, This is not a message you want to amen at an inappropriate time, okay? Um, This is not a time where you need to point or jab or laugh um, or lean over to another wife and like, yeah, my husband really needed to hear that one today, okay? This is not an opportunity for you to grade your husband, okay? Resist that temptation. You pray for him. You cheer him on. We're going to give him some help to love you today, okay? Now, there's a second group of people here, and it's all the single ladies. All the single ladies. Oh, you, you knew you were, you, you, you knew that went through your head as soon as I said it, all right? So, I need to say a word to you. This is an opportunity for you to grade any potential husband that may want to come by and uh, try to win your heart. And if he doesn't fit this category, then uh, you just keep looking. All right. Now, if you're a single man in here and you're a potential husband, you need to take notes. All right. Uh, Because what we have here at church today and what Harvest Bible Chapel really is, is, is it's a husband factory. It's a marriage factory. We're trying to produce some quality husbands around here. And before you become one, you better learn what it means to be one. And uh, it's really, getting married is not really about finding the right person. It's about being the right person. And maybe you need to ask yourself this question. Are you the person, the person you're looking for is looking for? And if you don't do this, Uh, That person you're looking for is not looking for you. They're looking for somebody that does this, okay? So take some notes on that. Now, some of you are single again, and even this whole subject of marriage and husbands and wives, it brings back some painful memories. And uh, we just want to surround you with the grace and the love of God. And and, uh, just realize this. Uh, The Scripture says in, in, in Isaiah, I think it's 54, 5 or something, it says, the Lord 
is your husband. The Lord is your maker and your husband. And the, the scripture teaches this. Whether you are married or single, there is not another human being on the planet that can meet the deepest needs of your soul. And so don't ask your husband, your wife, or your marriage to do something that God never designed it to do. Only God can meet the needs of your heart, okay? Now, having said that, husbands, there are some things that God wants to say to you. Now, before we get to your part, we need to kind of go back in Ephesians chapter 5. How many of you were here last week? Remember winners and losers? Remember how we talked about how to win every day? How many of you won this week? Did some things different? You made some win? Good. Remember the last thing we said is that winners fill their relationships with submission. And we learn that from verse 21. Look at it. It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The reason he says you have to submit out of reverence for Christ is because God knows the person you're going to submit to is not really all that great. He's not going to get it right every time. So out of reverence for Christ, you obey Christ to submit. Now, having said that, that is the, that is the pattern for all of us. That submission, if, we, if you want to win, what it means to submit, it means to, 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 to give your life to helping another person win. It's, it's you coming around and surrounding, bringing all of your strengths and your abilities and your intellect and your experience and your gifts and saying, I want to be on your team. I don't even care if I'm in charge. I want to help us win. I want to go the same direction. I believe in you. And so that's the attitude in the church. All right. Now, having set that up in verse 21, verse 22 targets a specific group of people that I am not preaching to. Relax, ladies. It's all going to be okay. All right. I am not talking to you today, but I do want your husband to know what God says you're supposed to do. And so it says in verse 22, wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, husbands, let me ask you a question. Does that sound like a hard job to you? God told your wife to follow somebody like you. Scary. Um, hard. Challenging. And at, on certain days, almost impossible. If it wasn't for her reverence for Christ, um, it would be really difficult to submit to somebody like you. So, having said that, God wants husbands to know you can do something to make her job easier. Look at verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Verse 24. Now, as the church, do you see the word as in verse 24? That word is used over and over throughout this passage. The word as is a comparison. It, it compares one thing to another. And so husbands, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And so guys, our wives have a hard job. At times almost impossible. But there is something we can do to make their jobs easier. And it is summed up in this simple word, love. As a matter of fact, look here in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. And if you love your wife, it'll make her job of submitting to you so much easier. 
I, I brought a, a friend here today. Um, this, is a, this is a plant, and uh, it came from Vite's greenhouse. And uh, uh, Greg Vite is one of our elders in the church, and he, he grows plants. And, and, and so I asked him to bring a plant to church this morning. And he told me his story yesterday. We had our elder retreat this week. <laughs> it's hilarious. I had, you know, these guys have businesses and they have to deal with, you know, customers that are always not happy with the products they sell. And so Greg was telling me, it's amazing. We sell these and every now and then somebody will bring back a plant that we sold them. It was alive when it left the store. <laughs> but when they brought it back, it was dead. And this person's unhappy. They want a refund or something, you know, and they're, they try to do the best they can. But Greg kind of laughs at these people. He's like, he, sometimes he looks at the plant, it's, it's obvious that it hasn't been watered, you know? And so they bring it back, it's dead, and, and Greg's like, well, did you water it? Well, that's irrelevant. You know, it, it should have survived. It's like, did you want me to come to the house and water it for you? You know, so, you know, it's an interesting conversation, right? But sometimes he said it's really, it's really funny because like right before they bring it back to the store, for the very first time, they'll fill up the bucket full of water, you know? And the reason I share that is because husbands, you have to understand, if you look at your wife and she seems a little dry lately, um, it, it, the same thing happens in my office sometimes with, with men that come in and like, what's the problem? It's like, marriage is dead. Did you water it? You know, sometimes, that, well, you know, uh, last night we went on a date, I took her to a movie, I bought her some jewelry. Yeah, you just dumped a bunch of that before you came in. It's like the last, it's a, it's a process. If you want your marriage and your wife to thrive, there are some things you have to do to feed it and water it so that it grows. And the ingredient that you need to pour into your wife and your marriage is simply love. Husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. And so the question becomes, how? How do we do that? If you ask the average man, a man wants to love his wife. Sometimes he doesn't quite know how. You get hung up on the word love because that sounds like ushy-gushy, romantic, touchy-feely, emotional stuff. Guys aren't always that great. And so we check out. And it's like, I don't think I can do that. We need to understand love differently. And here's what we're going to learn. Love is not something you feel. When the writer of Ephesians says, husbands love your wives, he wasn't say, husbands feel something for your wives. Stir up some emotion. That's not what he's saying. He's telling us to do something. He's telling us to communicate something. And so let's look at how he says we're to love. He sums it up in two simple ways. First of all, a husband, verse 25, is to love his wife as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. So how does a husband love a wife? Two letter word, real simple guys. When God speaks to guys, he, he uses monosyllabic words to help us as Christ loves his church. So what is he saying? It is impossible for a husband to properly love his wife horizontally unless he is consumed and brought to his knees with the love vertically that Christ has for him. And when you are blown away by the fact that Christ loves you, you will bend that love horizontally to your spouse. 
And so how does Christ love his, words, love his church? The first thing that he says is that he gave himself for her. So what does Christ do? He pursues her. He pursues. Do you understand? Christ in heaven with God having a great day, doesn't need you, doesn't need me, looked at the planet, realized there's a bunch of people down there that are not so lovable. As a matter of fact, they're kind of ugly. Not necessarily something that would be attractive to him. And yet, as an act of his will, he left heaven. He gave himself up. He gave heaven up. He gave royalty up. He gave comfort up. He gave time up. He gave safety up to pursue us as his bride. And he says, husbands, want to love your wife? Do it like that. Give yourself up. Give up your time. Give up your money. Give up your comfort. Give up your independence. Give up your right to be right and go to where she is. Pursue her. Now, I'm sitting here and some of the single guys are like, I'm all over that. I am, I'm pursuing, I am, I got flowers and cards and I've written poetry and I am pursuit. I am in pursuit. I'm in pursuit. Single guys, man, we are on it. Here's the problem. The wedding day happens and guys default thinking that's the finish line. And we let off the accelerator and we kind of coast around the track and then we divert from the track and we go off and we start pursuing other things. And all the energy and the effort and the time and the money and the motion we, we spent pursuing our wives. We start pursuing sports and a career and an education and a job and even children and the acclaim. We pursue everything but our wife after the wedding day. Christ doesn't stop pursuing us on the day that we get saved. That's the starting line of the relationship. Dating is not something you do to find a wife. Dating is something you do to build a relationship. And if you stop dating your wife, what's going to happen to the relationship? It's going to die. And you're like going to bring it back. It's like, look, God, it died. <laughs> Did you feed it? No, I was feeding everything else. Yeah, see, that's the problem. So a husband pursues his wife. Fellas, date your wife. Another thing that Christ does is he purifies his bride. Look at verse 27, verse 26. That he, speaking of Christ, he might sanctify her. That means set her apart. She's in one place. We're going to get her to a better place. That's what Christ does for us. He found you here. He wants to move you here. So he sanctifies her. How does he do that? Having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word. That, that implies that she's dirty. And Christ wants to get her to a better place. And the thing he uses to do it is his word. So husbands, this is a responsibility God has given us to know this book. And use this book, the Word of God, to wash our wives. Trent, if you knew my wife, how 
jacked up she is, you would realize why it's so hard to love her. Yeah, so here's the deal. You've identified some need in her life. Now go find what meets the need in the Word and apply that to the practical component parts of her life. The things that she struggles with, the things that she worries about, the fears, the anxiety, the sin issues. It is our job as husbands to disciple our wives. The mission statement of our church is glorifying God, making disciples. Why do we think we can do that with our children, with our neighbor, with our men's group? It starts with the person closest to us. What does Christ do? He washes us, sanctifies us with the water of His Word. Husbands, get into this book. Use this book to wash your wife. Get her to a better place. Get her in a better place. He purifies her. He polishes her. Look at verse 27. So that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. It is so interesting to me how the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul in a passage on marriage to somehow sneak in the words wrinkle and blemish. Masterful. Only under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit could a man talk about wrinkles and blemishes in the context of marriage. And here's the reality. There are so many wives that they see all of the wrinkles, they see all of the spots, they see all of the blemishes, and inside the heart of every wife, there is a 12-year-old girl wondering, am I lovable? Or do you just see the spots, the wrinkles, and the blemishes? It is the job of a husband to iron out the wrinkles. And to look past those things, the way that Christ looked past those things, He covered those things, He absorbed those things, He sanctified, He justified those things. And as a husband, we understand, I love you in spite of spots, wrinkles, and blemishes forever. Because it's my job, I'm commanded to love. So He polishes her, and then the last thing is He presents her. Verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself. That is an amazing concept. You think about giving a present to somebody else. Christ is in the process of giving a present to himself. He presents her to himself. And so as husbands, our job is to present our wives and to brag on our wives and boast on our wives. And how do you talk about your wife to other men, to other people? Present her with splendor. She is a splendid thing. And it is my honor to love my wife. How does a husband love his wife? As Christ loved the church. Here's the second thing. Now, before I reveal it, understand this. I, I know, guys, we struggle with this. The word love has such connotation that we think it's an impossible thing for us to be emotional and romantic and touchy feely, warm, fuzzy. It is hard. And that is why God gives you a second way, a second reason to love your wife. And he says this, husbands, love your wife as you love yourself. Look at verse 28. He says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. 
He who loves his wife loves himself. You see, God knows something about guys. God knows it's kind of unnatural for you to love your wife. So he says, I want to give you an assignment to do something that you already are doing every day. Um, Love your wife the way you're already loving yourself. Guys have no problem loving themselves. We think about ourselves. We feel sorry for ourselves. We find excuses for ourselves. We spend money on ourselves. We pamper ourselves. We lay our bodies down to sleep. We feed ourselves. And what God is saying is, you want to know how to love your wife? Why don't you use the same money, the same time, the same emotion, loving your wife as you already spend loving yourself? Husbands, love your wife as yourself. And he gives us a couple of ways to do that. Look at verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Underline the words nourish and cherish. Just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Get it? Earlier in the passage, he said the husband is the head, the wife is his body. The head takes care of the body. It builds the body up. It protects the body from pain. And it feeds the body. And so that's the way that we're to love. Verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. By the way, verse 31 is one of the most often repeated verses in the Bible. In Genesis chapter 2, it's the first time we read that. Jesus preached it in Matthew chapter 19. Now here we're in a book of Ephesians and Paul says it over and over and over again. God's design for marriage is for one man and one woman to come into one flesh relationship for one lifetime. That is God's design and that's the target And that is still what we as Christians give ourselves to. Verse 32, he says, this whole thing is a mystery, but it's profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and his church. Do you know what that means? Your marriage will either display or distort the glory of God. Do you know what's at stake in your marriage? The gospel being known to the world. Because people are supposed to look at your marriage the way that a husband loves his wife and love. Oh, oh, I get it now. You see, that's the way that Christ loves me. But if husbands aren't showing the world love for their wife, they are robbing the world of a picture of Christ loving them. That's what's at stake. It's not just about you and your little marriage. It is about the gospel. And finally, in verse 33, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And then a note to wives. Wives, see that she respects her husband. Now, again, ladies, you're getting off easy. You're just taking you're just cheering him on, praying for him Uh, in two weeks. 
Come back, we've got a message for you. And so uh, uh, next week, I'll be gone. Andrew and I will be gone. We're doing a marriage conference in Kalamazoo. If you really are resonating with this message and feel like you need like a crash course on marriage, join us in Kalamazoo next week, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Go to weekendtoremember.com. Sign up for that conference. We'll see you there. Tyler Holder is going to be preaching here. You will be in good hands. Be here next week. Following, we will be coming back to talk about something that wives need to do, but that's not for today. Okay? So, husbands, love your wife as you love yourself. There's two word pictures here we need to look at. First of all, he nourishes it, verse 29. He nourishes his wife. As Christ, the head, nourishes his body, that means he feeds it. He doesn't starve it. He doesn't keep things from this person that it needs. Husbands, do you know what your wife needs? Uh-uh. I've got a great suggestion for you. Why don't you ask someone who knows what your wife needs? Who would that be? Your wife. She knows. And she's probably pretty good at articulating it. But for you to go and say, I want to nourish you. I just need to know what groceries you need. Would you give me some suggestions? And if you think, and if just a moment, you're going to have some suggestions. Okay, so he nourishes it. And then the second thing is he cherishes it. Isn't that a great word? He cherishes it as a treasure. In studying this passage a few years ago, I found what this, act, this word actually means. And it actually means to keep warm. Like a, like a mother would would coddle and protect a, an infant from the, the cold to provide. Now, living in Michiana, that has massive implications for my marriage, okay? It means to keep warm. It means to provide and to protect. So, um, at this point, I am totally out of material and I feel a little bit like a hypocrite telling husbands in here, how to love their wives because I'm still trying to figure that out myself. And so we need someone that knows this a little better. Um, and so I've invited my wife to come up here and help us uh, before I step in something up here. Now, we're going to give you five ways that a husband cherishes his wife. And so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to kind of introduce these things. And then Andrew's going to help us kind of see it from a wife's perspective in a way that maybe I would be clueless to. And so here's the first thing. Five ways that a wife cherishes his, a wife, uh, five ways a wife feels cherished. Number one, a husband provides security. He gives her security. You know what that means? Men, we need to be men of our word. We need to be trustworthy. We need to be people that say, you know what? No matter what happens, no matter how bad it gets, we're not giving up. We're going to the finish line together. Divorce is not an option. Murder, maybe, not divorce, okay? <laughs> we are going to the finish line together. You never have to question if there's another woman. I don't have wandering eyes. Porn is not an issue. I want you to feel secure. There is nothing that breeds insecurity into the heart of a wife more than a man who has wandering eyes. We have to provide security. So lately we've had a way that this security issue has been playing out in our marriage. Um, just about, I don't know, three winters ago, I literally got stuck in three different car washes. 
Um, the first car wash I, I went through, I, you know, you choose which one you want, you put your money in, and it washed the car, and then it came time to do the dry, and it says, you know, drive slowly, and it tells you the countdown of how it's going to dry your car. Well, as I was pulling forward, the garage door only opened halfway. Like, it only opened enough till I could get my, the hood of my car out, but not, like, the windshield and all of the top. And so my heart is like pounding out of my chest because I'm like, I am stuck in this car wash and the car behind me is getting washed and there's a long line and I know they need me to go. And so I'm inching up, I'm inching up, the drive time is done and still this garage door, I can only get the engine of the car underneath it and it will not go up. And I don't know what I'm going to do and I'm thinking, surely someone is seeing this, they will come, they will help me, no one comes. So eventually, I just crawl onto the hood of my car and lift the garage door up, and I get back in and drive out. And then I got literally stuck in two more different car washes that winter. So I have grown to be very insecure when going through a car wash. And um, what I have noticed, though, is sometimes I will go out to my garage, and my car is spotless. And it wasn't spotless before. I was just getting stuff on my pants as I'm putting it in, you know, the car, because it's so dirty. And I put the key in, I crank it up, and I've got a full tank of gas. And someone has taken my car, filled it up with gas, taken it through the car wash. <laughs> yes. And that, that means so much to me, because I see in that that he knows me. He knows I'm insecure, he knows my weakness, that I can't handle car washes, and that he has gone to the trouble to meet me where I am, to, to cover that need. Now, now, men, most of your wives are not insecure about car washes, okay? But I bet that you know some areas in their life where they deal with insecurity. And I bet if you think about it, you could think of some ways that you could go to work to meet those areas of insecurity in her life, to cover it, to encourage, to help her right there. Now, another thing that Trent does that's way bigger than car washes, and I think the biggest thing he does just to help me in this area of security is just every morning I see him in the word and I know that if he is following after God that I can follow behind him. And just in the word so that as we're doing life and it's hard and we need wisdom and we need help, we don't have it in us, we don't. But we know where to go to find it. And I see him go in there and that puts more security in my life than anything else. What's really amazing to me about what she just said is I didn't have to emote to get the car washed. I didn't have to feel it. I wasn't feeling anything when I was washing the car. And I'm like, that works for you? That's amazing because I didn't have to feel anything. But that communicated that she was cherished. So security, big deal. Number two, honor. Honor simply means placing high 
value on someone or something. For Andrea, it's very important that I give her my attention, that I listen to her, that I value her opinions. I'm a preacher, occupational hazard is I got some stuff to say. I can be convincing. I like illustrations. I can talk for 45 minutes at a time without taking a breath. And if I try to do that here, that's not going to work. That's not honoring to her. And so I need to value to understand that God has given me a wife who needs to help me. She sees things differently and and she can help me. That is honoring to her. A few weeks ago, I was talking to a young wife. Um, She's been married eight years and her husband is an entrepreneur. And so she says a lot of times as he's starting up a new business, I go in and I help him. Like I'll be the receptionist or I'll do whatever he needs on the computer and that type thing. I just come alongside and help. And I've told my husband over and over, it would mean so much to me if when I'm in your office, if you would even just wave or if you would make eye contact or even come over to me and just put your hand on my back so that I know that you know that I'm there. And she said, or at home, I would just love it if you would just say my name. It just means a lot to me when you say my name. But she said, it's been eight years, none of those things have happened and I've just kind of died to that which is not great in and of itself, but they've recently moved. And they moved into a house where they didn't know it at the time, but their next door neighbor also works at that business. And this next door neighbor always goes to her and says, is that a new dress you're wearing? You look so nice today. Or, wow, did you get your hair cut? And he makes the time to notice her. Now that they're living next door, she pulls up in the driveway and he sees her and knows she has groceries in the car or something. He comes out and helps her with the groceries, asks her about her day. And she said, I know he's just being kind. There's nothing there. I'm committed to my husband. He's committed to his wife. And at this point, she starts sobbing. (laughs) And she says, but I am shocked at how my heart is so drawn to this man. She said, I keep thinking about him during the week and I hope that he's home when I drive up and the car's full of groceries. Why? Because honor is a powerful tool to draw the heart of your wife to you. Husbands, are you using it? I look at the wives in this church, I see so much beauty and so much strength. I see that they're under the financial pressures and yet they get up every day and they go work a job. Or they have all these little kids who need them every second and they're laying down their lives for these kids. Maybe they have grown children who are wayward and they're praying for them and it's breaking their hearts and yet they hang in there in prayer and they hang in there walking and obeying the Lord. I see all that beauty and all that strength and I wonder, does their husband see it? Is he calling it out? Is he telling her that he sees that beauty and that strength in her? Because it's a powerful tool to draw the heart of your wife back to you, just to honor, to place high value on your wife. Okay, dudes, do you know what was happening while she was talking? Dude, I'm watching tears come down the, the eyes of the ladies because Andrea just honored the wives for the stuff they do. That needs to come from us. We need to give our wives honor. Here's another thing. Understanding. And um, 
This is so important. First Peter chapter 3, verse 7, one verse to men says this. It says, honor, husbands, honor your wives, dwell with them in an understanding way. That has got to be the hardest verse in the Bible to obey. Men understand our wives. I heard about a boy who was uh, in a geography class. He was seven years old. He was doing some homework. He came home and he asked his dad, he's like, Dad, I need help with my homework. I just read in my geography book that in some parts of Africa, men don't even know their wives until the day they marry them. Is that true? His dad said, son, that's true in every country. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like, we're, we're different. Have you noticed that? Very different. Okay, so men, I totally sympathize with you on this one, okay? This understanding stuff, because half the time I don't understand myself. And then once I figure it out, I change my mind, right? <laughs> I see it from a totally different perspective. And so, man, I just sympathize with you on this, but it is so important just to understand what we're going through, what we're thinking, and you don't have to get it perfectly, but just, just an attempt. Um, we're doing a ladies' Bible study right now that I just love, and one of the questions during the first week was, what is your greatest strength and what is your greatest weakness? And I'm sitting there in my Bible study and I'm like, I have no idea. Like, it's just, I'm running the gamut of characteristics and I can't come up with them. And I think, well, I can ask a couple friends, and then I thought, wait, no. I know someone who knows me best and understands me the best. And so two days later, we actually found some time to talk and I just said, what is my greatest strength and what is my greatest weakness? And he nailed it, totally nailed it. They happened to be one thing, both strength and weakness, totally nailed it. But this is the beauty of it for me. He knows it and he doesn't try to fix it. We just have to navigate it together. So when a different situation comes in, because he understands me, not fix me, but understands me, then we know how to tackle it and navigate it together. And this is so hard for husbands because our natural tendency is to fix problems. So when they bring a problem, they want to communicate it, and communicate the problem, it, she shakes her head when I'm trying to fix it. Like one time, like the dishwasher overflowed or something and she's had a, the kids are out of control and she had a rough conversation on the phone with a friend and she got misunderstood. And, and she's telling me all this at the end of the day. And I'm like, all right, come here. Let me show you how the dishwasher works. You know, you got to load it this way and you got to make sure the door's closed and do that thing there. And, and then uh, if you deal with it, talk to the kids about this and turn it this way and maybe a better time. And, and uh, did you have a quiet time this day? Because if you pray real hard during the day, it'll go, the day will go better. That doesn't work. That's a fail. So, and she's like, no. I'm like, why are you shaking your head? She's like, I don't want you to fix it. I just want you to understand the way I feel about it. Is that all? Like, yeah. I, I, I had so much trouble getting this right. Um, finally, I was reading this book. For Men Only, I think we have it in the Resource Center. It's by uh, Shanti and Jeff Feldhahn. And Jeff was writing and he said, this is what I learned. I must resist the temptation to want to fix it. When there is a problem, she needs to express it verbally. What she is feeling about the problem is more important than the problem itself. What she is feeling is the real problem. Therefore, listening to her feelings actually fixes the problem. 
Instead of filtering out her emotions to focus on the problem, I must learn to focus, to filter out the problem and focus on the feelings. After she feels like I understood her feelings, now she's ready to solve the problem. I'm like, I cut and pasted that. I hung that up in my office. I'm like, I gotta figure this out. So that, that is a new concept for men because we wanna fix it. And women feel cherished when we communicate. Now, the average woman, studies have shown, um, speak 25,000 words a day with gust up to 35,000 on certain days. <laughs> Men, on the other hand, only communicate about 15,000 words. And so there's a gap there, and we, we have to learn to communicate at a different level. So in our marriage, um, I, I'm definitely more the talker, and he's definitely more the quiet one, and he has used up his 15,000 words after three services on Sunday. Just trust me on that one. So what I've kind of seen is that we, we each have a bent. Like, we're either more talkative or we're more quiet, and we need to figure out which way our bent is and then move toward the middle. And so sometimes I'll be listening to wives talk about their husbands, and it just breaks my heart because I think... If only the men knew the damage they were doing to their marriage simply by not talking, just being silent. Because that's how we learn you. That's how we know what's going on in your heart, in your life, in your brain. That's how we know to encourage you or come alongside or how to relate to you. And if you're not talking, we're just kind of stuck. And we don't know where to go with it or how, how to move it. Also for me, as more of the talker, I have to learn to sometimes be quiet so he will talk. And the Lord has just been asking me, Andrea, when you are talking, are your words wise? Are they building up? Do you even hear what you're saying? Or is it just like cats that you're trying to herd? And you don't even know where it's going. You know, when you talk, choose wisely what you're saying if you are the talker. And I know for us, communication is just finding the time to make it a priority. Everything else in life is so busy, but communication has got to be a priority or everything else goes spinning out of whack. Five ways a wife feels cherished, security, honor, understanding, communication, and physical affection. I read a study one time that said the average woman needs between eight and 12 non-sexual touches every day. Now, some of your men are thinking, I can take care of that right now. <laughs> That's not what we're saying, okay? It is so important, and Andrea read some stuff recently that, that confirms that. As we were talking through the message just a little bit last night, Trent was like, and we'll get to physical affection. We can just race right past that. And I'm like, no, 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 you can't. You cannot race right past that. Because physical affection means more and affects women more than men. Research has shown this to be true. Okay? So when it's just like a nice rub on the back or grab my hand or something like that, it releases in women and men too, but more so in women, oxytocin, which is the bonding chemical, okay? And so when, when that happens for a woman, I'm drawn to you, it, I can relate to you as my husband. It's been shown that non-sexual physical touch also releases emotionally positive brain chemicals, it lowers a woman's heart rate, it lowers her stress level, and it decreases feelings of loneliness just by grabbing her hand or rubbing her back. 
It's something. I thought I had to feel something to fix all that. No, just, just act like you do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> then act like it, right? Okay. One more thing real quick. Now, if you are not already holding your wife's hand or have your arm around her, uh, this would be the time to do that. And this is what I want us to do. I want us to all stand right now. I'm going to give you the last point as we stand together. Husbands, hold your wife's hand. And here's the last thing. Husbands, love your wife as you love yourself. He nourishes her. He cherishes her. He inspires her. Do you remember how hard her job is to submit to somebody like you? Well, here's the thing. When a husband does his job right, her job gets easier. Because a husband's love inspires a wife's respect. Some of you men have already excused yourself from this whole message because you're sitting there thinking, she doesn't respect me, so I'm not giving her my love. Verse 33 tells us, husbands, love your wife as you love yourself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Here's the way it works. You see, without love, she reacts without respect. And the problem is, ladies, you need to understand, without respect, your husband reacts without love. And so here we have a gap. This is what Emerson Egrich calls the crazy cycle. That we, we stand in our corners waiting for the other person to move. But here's what we need to do. Husbands, our love inspires her respect. And ladies, your respect inspires our love. And it doesn't matter who moves first. But a marriage has to be filled with love and respect. The number one need of a man is love. I'm sorry, the number one need of a man is respect. The number one need of a wife is love. And so this is the way we communicate to one another. This is real love. I want you to bow your heads for a moment. I want to pray for you. I know some of you are stuck. Some of you are in difficult situations and some of you identified with the loneliness and the the stress. Some of you have longed for this kind of relationship and for whatever reason you've never had it. Maybe you had it and you lost it. Here's what I want you to know. The love of Christ is enough. And He is the one right now that's in the process of sanctifying us and cleansing us and washing us, giving us fresh starts and new beginnings. So no matter where you are in your marriage, Today can be the first day of moving it to a better place. Our pastors are here at the end of the service. If you need prayer, if you would humble yourself and just admit, say, you know what? It's not going great. As a husband, you may want to come and say, you know what? Today I, I realized why my marriage is so dry. I haven't been watering it. Remember, I see now why hard for her to respect me because I haven't provided love. Maybe today you want to tell that to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm signing up again. I'm going to push the accelerator. I'm going to start to pursue my wife. I'm going to start doing some of the things I used to do when I was 20 years old, trying to win her heart. I'm going to win it back. So Lord, we do thank you for the love that you have for us. You treat us as a bride it's not very lovable, and yet you gave yourself up for us. God, I pray that you would inspire us to love as you love the church and as we already love ourselves. God, make that practical for us this week. 
pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, before we